Hello world, I'm Sherilyn. I'm Evelyn. And I'm Hannah. This is Tipsy Broad History and let's talk about some badass bitches in history. Tipsy Broad History. Tipsy Broad History. Tipsy Broad History. Tipsy Broad History. Hello world. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Um, today is going to be a fun episode and we're super excited about it. So you saw from our Instagram post, we do have a new segment and we are, air well, what are we doing? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm like three shots in, so I don't even know what my brain is talking about right now. Lightweight. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> shots fired from our person today. Um, so this is the last week of Black History Month and it is our the very first segment that we're doing and I'm so honored to be covering this and I'm so honored to have a local badass woman of color with us today to tell her her story and the field that she's in. And um, she is someone that's near and dear to my heart. And uh, as we get, you know, she'll talk, as we get into it, blah, 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 you'll know why. So, um, Hannah, what's up? What's up? What's I am, up? I'm not as crazy as you are right now. Although it's probably because I only took like a half a shot of a baby shot. So there's that. Our, um, the person we're interviewing today, I'm not going to introduce her just yet, but she chugged her entire fireball, which you will see in later videos. <laughs> and then we also have, not, oh, not joining us live, but via, what are you on? Google Meet. Google, Google Meet is Evelyn. Yeah. What's up, Evelyn? How you doing at home? Hey, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Yay. Sorry about your... So the reason why she's at home, guys, is she's quarantining because yes. COVID is still alive and rampant. So uh, where are you at? Tell the listeners what you're doing. Okay, I am in my music room in my house. Oh, oh fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know. It's like a music slash sto everything else comes in here that wants to survive slash my husband's closet. So yeah, I feel that completely. I feel I feel that. All right, guys. Do we have any um, housekeeping things we want to talk about? We just want to dive, dive in. No, other than this is I'm our gonna first. I'm going to start oh. with a shot. Oh, she got oh, started. She's going to do a shot right now. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, we got to do it. I just haven't, I haven't drank yet. I have to catch up. Yeah. All right. All right. Here we go. Cheers. 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 <laughs> I will say I'm not a major fan of Fireball, but did you want to maybe talk about that? About Fireball? Yeah. Like, why are we drinking Fireball today? Oh, okay. So the reason why we're drinking Fireball is because uh, the wonderful human being that we are interviewing. So I have done two Tough Mudders with her. That's not the reason why she's near and dear to my heart, but one of the reasons. Anyways, so... When you do a Tough Mudder, you're there early in the freaking morning. It's like 7, 8 a.m. So you, we're, we're just, you know, we always want to find Cindy's car. Why do we want to find her car? Because she has a full bottle of Fireball <laughs> and she chugs this before every Tough Mudder. Now, if you haven't done a Tough Mudder before, it is this like 13 mile obstacle course. And we, yeah, we started, we started tipsy. So without, without further ado, let's go ahead and, and introduce this beautiful person because she is just cracking up here not saying anything just yet. So she is such a staple in many people's lives in terms of helping them and get them, get, getting them just their life better and mentally right. Um, and she lives here local in Pensacola. And yeah, her name is Cindy Squirrels. Ah! Hello, Cindy. Oh, you're so sweet. 
today? I'm doing good. I'm doing yeah. really good. Now you Thank are. You for having me. Oh yes. I just had a few shots at Fireball. Doing a little loose. Oh, it's okay. Listen, all the nerves are gone. Yeah, all the nerves are gone. You guys, Mama's feeling all right. It is not a few. She took an entire meat, like, how many medium sized bottle. How many ounces That's is this? Crazy. A hundred milliliters. Oh my god. That's a lot compared to a mini shot, which is 50 milliliters. 50 milliliters, and I haven't even finished that one yet. (laughs) Oh, and and I want to point out, since you can't see, she has a Truly next to her and a coffee with rum chata. Listen, if we couldn't have picked the most perfect person (laughs) to do this segment with... You know, I don't know, I don't know what we would have done. Well, you know my saying, I love Jesus, but I drink a lot. <laughs> Amen. Snaps to that. Yes. If that is not my soul sister, I don't know who is. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about uh, being a part of Jesus podcast on what you guys do. Appreciate it. Yeah, this is our what, our, our first local baddie section. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, are, are you from Pensacola? No, I'm originally from uh, a little town in Virginia, in southwest Virginia, uh, southwest in the state of Virginia, not West Virginia, uh, called Radford, Virginia. Um, mm. I was there and lived there and went to high school there and middle school and all that stuff. And at the age of 17, I packed up and went to visit my sister in Germany because um, that's it was during the first desert storm so mm-hmm. uh, I went over there to visit her before I was to start college and uh, I went there and I just never left I met the man that would be my husband within three weeks of being there and I just never left that's crazy oh. so you were you lived in Virginia literally your entire life yes very small town I worked um, at a place called r and Market. We did fried chicken and potato wedges. Oh, yes. And, yes. Uh, they, uh, I used to work in the kitchen part, but I kept messing up the potato wedges. I couldn't cut them right. So they moved me to be a cashier. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked there uh, and just, and I also cleaned houses yeah. on the side mm-hmm. and uh, raised some money for myself. And instead of going to college, I paid for a plane ticket and went to Germany. And then within the two weeks... Within two weeks, I met my husband, and we've been together now for 30 years, oh my gosh. and I was I met him at 17. I told him I was 19, I was <laughs> and so we lived there. We lived in Germany for three years. We moved to London. I lived in London for four years. Left there. He got a job at the Pentagon, and we oh worked gosh. in the D.C. area for six years, and then we moved to Pensacola, and we've been in Pensacola since 2002. Oh, wow. Dang. Just backtracking. I just want to backtrack a little bit. What, what were you like in high school? What was high school like for you? What did you do in high what school? What was high school? I Cindy? was known yes. as the singer and I ran track. Ooh. Um, so I sung. I was um, I was so blessed to have a great aunt. And uh, I used to sing in church a lot. And um, I was really blessed that she just believed in me. And so she put me in voice lessons when I was in seventh grade and uh, the man that I took voice lessons from was this really cool um, Jewish man um, to escape to escape uh, being persecuted you know during the Holocaust and stuff he actually shipped himself in a box out um, to another country and his hands were very uh, crippled he bent over and um, 
he used to punch me in my stomach weekly just to get me to sing from my diaphragm. Oh my but God. it worked because uh, he, uh, <laughs> he did. He would punch me in my times. stomach. It was different times back then. Tough so love. he would punch me in my stomach because he would tell me I'm singing from my throat to get me to sing from my stomach. He would reach over and punch me in my stomach. So it caught, taught me how to sing. And so he paid, so my aunt paid for my voice lessons. And I went through voice lessons through seventh grade all the way up. Through high school so um, when I left high school um, I had a classical music scholarship and then I also ran track in high school so that was a lot of fun and did that yeah, so that's, that's how amazing. I was in high school I wasn't like this big popular person at all but uh, yeah, right. I ran track <laughs> and I was the person that they would call to sing the national anthem and all the yeah. football and basketball games awesome. so that was fun Evelyn actually is an opera singer and she is a singer <gasps> <My heart>. yes. <laughs> did course and uh track in high school too so we're very much the same and my teacher my college voice lesson teacher would uh punch my stomach too gently but she would punch me too to be like sing from your diaphragm I didn't realize it makes a, a difference because wild. your voice can go out but if you're singing from your diaphragm and speaking from your diaphragm you're gonna last a lot longer and so that would really help so, so yeah. for um i didn't say for our listeners um Cindy is a therapist. That is a profession she is in now. And I wanted to say this because my next question to you is, what did you aspire to be when you were growing up? When I, when I was growing up, I aspired to be a mom. And I aspired to, uh, I really thought I would be on Broadway singing and acting and all of those things. Uh, but I'm glad that my life took the path that it took. Mm -hmm. Because now I feel like I'm really just living my purpose and my calling in life. Because mm -hmm. um, I, I think throughout my life I've been able to recognize that um, along the way in my life, I was actually just, it was all just a plan to be this, mm -hmm. if yeah. that makes sense. So yeah. I just had to trust the process and be okay with where I was <laughs> in, my, in my walk, if mm -hmm. that yeah. makes sense. Um, so, yeah. Was there a particular reason, though, that you decided not to choose that path of going to Broadway and, like, singing over your now career well honestly once I left home um I came from a family in a home where it wasn't good I was I had a lot of trauma growing up okay. both, both of my parents were uh one my mother's an evangelist and my stepfather was a pastor but there was a lot of abuse that happened in my home verbal abuse emotional abuse spiritual abuse sexual abuse and those type of things so my whole goal I figured out when I was in seventh grade probably around seventh grade, that you got to do it on your own. And I mm -hmm. had to figure out a way to rescue myself out of that. Okay. And so that's why I started cleaning houses after school. Wow. In that's, seventh grade. And I, would just, and I would just clean houses, and I'd take the money, put it in a bank account, and I would keep $5 a week for myself to pay for my lunches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everything else just went in the bank. And then when I got old enough, I got a job. And then everything would go in the bank, and I would still just keep $5 a week for myself. Right. So I had saved up a lot of money. So I figured out really young that I had to put things in place to help myself. And okay. so when I went to Germany um, and to be with my sister, um, whose husband was at Desert Storm, I just figured out then that this was my opportunity to rescue myself. And so I didn't go back. Mm -hmm. And I got a job, and mm -hmm. I just started working and helping her and just continue to work but along the way just little things started happening if yeah. that makes sense yeah. yeah I would be in opportunities and people just want to talk to me so I just talk to them and they feel better mm -hmm. yeah 
you know, just little things. Then uh, we ended up having our first daughter um, in Germany. We had our second child, which is a son who has autism in um, England. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard, having a child and being overseas and yeah, all right. of that. And then we moved back to the States. And when we moved back to the States in the D.C. area, um, we got him situated in school. And lo and behold, teachers and people would be like, hey, this parent just got a diagnosis of autism, can you talk to them? Mm -hmm. Can you tell me what, can you tell them some stuff that you've done to help your son? And along the way, those like little things would happen. And before long, they hired me to be what they call a um, parent advocate and those type of things. So I started advocating for kids that have disabilities, helping parents and running a nonprofit. And yeah. they would just set me up. And then I did get scared, and I ran away from it and started being an accountant for years. I was going to say, like, so you had an introduction to this early on, but you didn't become what you're a therapist until eons later. Right. I was in my 40s when I decided oh to gosh. get my master's and to do this work. Um, yeah. I was worked for the federal government as an accountant for 15 mm -hmm. years. Wow. I was very excited because I got a job. I got burnt out doing what I was doing. So um, somebody who knew somebody who knew my husband uh, got me a job being a secretary for the Department of Defense. Mm -hmm. and so I was a secretary, but I did a good job there. And um, that was when 9-11 was my first day of work. So this lady who, I didn't work for her, but 9-11 happened and she was on this cross-country tour for the government to close down all of their accounting offices. And she didn't have a secretary, so I would just do her travel vouchers, make sure she got her money, and do all of her travel arrangements, and never met her for six months. Wow. Come to find out, it was the right lady because um, she created me a job here in Pensacola when we moved to Pensacola and set me up to move up in the government because wow. of what I had done to help her. Yeah. Oh my so God. yeah, it was just, like I said, it was just those small little things. And right. They helped me pay for school and yeah. all that stuff. And so now I'm a therapist oh, after working cool. for the government for 15 years. <laughs> That's crazy. So I kind of want to backtrack a bit. I want you to tell the story of you, you and your husband. And I, I, that story of how you guys met and what she was doing, girl, getting all ratchet and stuff. Oh, she wasn't right. It was, you have to hear this story. Okay, I'm going to sit my truly. Go ahead. I wasn't right. You were? <laughs> I grew up in a very religious home. And to say religious is probably like an understatement. I grew up in a Pentecostal holiness home. Okay. So their way of thinking and being is at that time back then it was you don't cut your hair, you don't wear makeup, you don't wear tank tops. Um, it was very legalistic. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I grew up. So I had never been to um, a school dance. I had never been to a prom, a homecoming. I actually snuck out of snuck one year because they asked me to sing my 11th grade year they asked Aww. me to sing at um prom and um but i knew my parents wouldn't let me go so i had some of my friends like they had a dress for me they did my Aww. hair they did my makeup so i could go sing at prom but me being me i felt so guilty that even before i went i called my mom and told her what i was going to do and she was like go oh <laughs> If they ask you to sing, you need to go. So I went, I sung, and then I left. So I had never been to a club or anything like that. And so I went to Germany, and my sister was just like, you should go out. But I'd never gone out. So let me tell you who she sent me out with. 
Trista and Suzanne, who were former strippers. Okay. <laughs> My sister helped me get dressed, and I look so cute, let me tell you. <laughs> I had on a lace bodysuit. Yes, hunty. Because you know Mariah Carey had just come out, mm -hmm. and then she just came out with it. It was 1990. Oh. <laughs> so I had on a lace bodysuit with these skin-tight black jeans with lace at the bottom, and I didn't wear a bra because then they were really perky. And, like, and, so, and then a little sweater because... I don't know what it is. I love cardigans. But I love cardigans. <laughs> yes. Anyway, so my so she sent me out with Trish and Suzanne, who were former strippers in Texas, who had on the little Mariah Carey dresses. You know the little mm -hmm. dresses yeah. that are like two inches tall, but they stretch. Mm -hmm. And so Suzanne never wore drawers, and Trish never wore. <laughs> and I walk into the club, which was called the Cave. I had to go down two flights of steps to get to the Cave. Was it like Germany. a speakeasy type of thing, or no? no it, was it was just, just a nightclub. Yeah, it was a nightclub. And so I went in. I'd never been there. I was nervous to death. And so we went in because I'd never been to anything like this. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I'm going to die and go to hell. I'm gonna die. <laughs> and also in the back of my head, I was thinking, don't let the rapture happen. Don't let the rapture happen. <laughs> because I would go to hell. So I went. Anyway, we had a great time. And going into the club, I saw this guy. And I was just like, hmm, I'm probably going to marry him. Just by looking at him? Just by looking oh, at him. Oh, girl. And I, I was just like, I'm going to marry that guy. Oh. And he walked past me. He was going into the bathroom. And I just went in. And I could not take my eyes off him the whole night. Oh, and my goodness. And come to find out, the guys who always bought Trish and Suzanne drinks when they would go to the club, he was their roommate. <gasps> oh. And so I stared at him long enough for him to come up to me and say, why are you with them? <laughs> You know what kind of girls they are, right? <laughs> and I was just like, no. Uh, and they what? offered to bring me. Did and you know they were strippers at the time? No, my sister okay. told me later on. <laughs> and this, he made that comment right after Suzanne had been on the dance floor dancing. And she was so drunk by that time that she fell. And so she went spread eagle and everybody could see oh, her business. Oh. And so he was just like, uh, why are you with them? <laughs> You're not that kind of girl, I can tell. You know, so, but anyway, we started talking that night. Um, that was a Friday night. He asked me to come back to the club Wednesday so he could see me again. Oh, okay. So I came back that following Wednesday, and uh, that Friday he took me on our first date, which was awful because he took me to see the hunt for Red October. Oh, my God. I had never been on a date. I was 17, and I had never been on a date. And so um, I had never been drunk. I had never been on a date. I was as green as they come. But for some reason, he he liked me. So I didn't talk the whole night on our date. He didn't think I liked him until the very end, and I pinned him against the wall. Oh! Spicy! When he was leaving, I pinned him against the wall, and I kissed him, and he was just like, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. It's the quiet ones you got to see you tomorrow. That's so true. That's how it was, and so we've been together ever since. Oh, oh that's the cutest thing. story. We've been together ever since. It was a week before my 18th birthday when I met him. Are, are you guys the same age, or is he older, or are you older? He's older. Okay. He's three years older than I am, which and that's I love to remind him of that. <laughs> and that's why you said you're 19 and 17. Yeah. That's why I said I was 19 and 17, because he would get in trouble. Oh, my gosh. And you guys, it'll be 30 years next year. July. Oh. July of this year will be 30 year? years that wow. we've been together. That is so That's just cute. how you know, like, you were supposed to take this path. Like, this was supposed I was. to happen. And the truth is, is that I 
my husband has been so loving and kind to me that even when I was going through times of trying to figure out how to get through my traumas, because I had a lot of trauma growing up, um, he loved me enough for both of us, and he uh, believed in me enough for both of us, and I, I would never, ever be where I am or the person I am if it wasn't for this man. Hashtag couple goals, guys. <laughs> Shout out to James. James, James. all the snaps. Yes. You are amazing. That's I know, and thing. he's so amazing because it's through him that I kind of all know you guys. I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's true. It's, true. Yeah. it's through him. It's mm -hmm. through your job system. So James, for all of you who are listening, he works at uh, the law firm that mm -hmm. we, me and Sherilyn work at. Yes. Um, he's the IT He's an IT dude. He's just an IT dude. He's an IT dude. He helps all of us with every mm -hmm. problem that we have, and um, that's how we kind of know him. And then um, through that connection at our work, we do a lot of mental health stuff. So Cindy comes in once a month and talks to everybody, and yeah. that's how this whole connection. That's awesome. Yes, that's that's how this whole uh, connection. So it's even it. through him that I've that this has grown and is the way that it is is because it's probably it's through my husband yeah yeah it's through the support you know yeah that support and there was a time like i would text him or email him even when i was working for the government which is really weird because being an accountant you know you picture an accountant that's somebody that's quiet that's somebody that's reserved and to themselves and stuff like that but i feel like um something higher got me in that job and i was grateful for it because Number one, I made a lot of money yeah. <laughs> for what I did. And number two, it was easy work. Yeah. But um, one of the things that it also provided me was solitude. And I know yeah. it's probably hard to think that it's solitude is a, is a good thing. Mm -hmm. But um, while I worked for the federal government, we were in two different locations. Okay. And so um, for a while there, I worked behind a closed door, locked door, mm -hmm. all by myself. Oh. In a cubicle in the far end, it was lower ceilings and raised floors, so there was no windows, no doors, and I was completely all by myself. So I had to learn how to be okay all by myself. But in those times of being all by myself, I learned who I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's wow. so important. It like, is so important sometimes because I think we try to stay so busy, mm -hmm. but instead yeah. in busyness, we really uh, neglect, we really, that's a way of avoiding things we need to deal with, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. And so being in that solitude, learned, I learned so much about myself because it was only me. Right. There was nobody else around me. And so I had to be comfortable being by myself. I had to be comfortable with just doing my job. Mm -hmm. I had to be comfortable figuring out what I wanted my next steps to be mm -hmm. in my life and setting goals and those type of things. And those days that I didn't feel like I was worthy or I felt bad about myself or I was beating myself up, I would send my husband emails. <laughs> I'd be like, do you think I can do this? What do you really think of me? And he would send me these wonderful emails just going, absolutely, you can do this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, you, you're worthy. And he would send me these emails. So I would take his emails and print them out. And I literally covered my cubicle in positive affirmations from my husband about me. Because even though I could see it in myself, he saw it in me. And so I decided to believe what he said more than what I wanted to believe in what I was saying to myself. Yeah. So I was always surrounded by these positive affirmations from my husband and that helped propel me to keep going in school, to lose weight, to just keep 
going towards a goal. Mm -hmm. And even when I didn't know what the goal was, I knew something big was coming. So what would you say to, let's say we have a listener right now and they're like, this is amazing. I love your story, but I don't have the support that you have. I'm literally by myself. How do I achieve those things by myself when I have nobody? Well, when you feel like you don't have anybody, because I understand what that was like too. Um, there were many days growing up in my home and in my household where I felt like I wasn't understood. I wasn't seen. I was keeping secrets. Mm -hmm. Because no one wants to say, hey, I'm being sexually molested. You're afraid that somebody's going to believe you and you're, and you're going to be afraid that somebody's going to blame you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? And so during those years, I was lucky that I had a teacher that helped me. But I found something that I loved and that I was good at. And as long as I put my energy into something that I was good at and something that I loved, that helped me to propel me out of that. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. But sometimes I think it's just a matter of you just finding one thing that's good about yourself and keep affirming yourself in that, mm -hmm. even if nobody else is going to do it. It's like this is this interview is like a dual purpose. Like we're I unintentionally <laughs> learning stuff too, which is amazing. Yes, it was. I mean, I didn't have anybody to come in and rescue me and say, "Hey, you're being hurt. Let me take you out of it." Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. I had to find something in myself to say, "I'll take myself out of it." Even if it was that simple thing of, okay, I'm going to find some people and I'm going to clean their houses to make money to get me out of it. That's what I did. Yeah. I mean, what? Where did you find that strength? Though? At such a young age, seventh grade, that's when you're, yeah, that's you're still conflicted with like, who you are. How did you find that strength to be like, I'm getting a job. I'm going to save up money to get myself out of my situation. I don't, I think it was just the fact that it would have been very easy, I think, for me to uh, become a victim of my circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so I had to, from a very young age, I realized, right now we call them emotional boundaries, <laughs> you know, the yeah. technical thing, now that I'm educated. <laughs> <laughs> now that you got an education. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I had to figure out, okay, am I going to believe what somebody else says about me, or am I going to, or how somebody makes me feel, or am I going to believe in myself? And that can be hard because of the fact that when we are in bad situations, we can become a victim of them. And so every day, I remember literally going from my bedroom into my bathroom, into the hallway bathroom. My mom had a big, like, long mirror there. And every day I would stop by that mirror and just start saying something about myself. I like my eyes. My eyes look good today. My eyebrows. I did my eyebrows good today. It was just those small little things that I started to say that I liked about myself that I think inspired me to keep saying, I can do better. Yeah. I can do more. This is not what my life is supposed to be like. Because my parents had my whole life planned out. They knew the person they wanted me to marry, that I would be helping them in their churches forever. I would be the choir director and the singer. They knew. To them, they had my whole life planned out. I had to figure out, was that, was that, what, am I going to listen to their life that they have for me or am I going to create my own? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And even though my own was in complete contrast to what they had planned, I had to figure out, this is what I need to do to rescue me. And even if I didn't have that, mm -hmm. I never, I was aware somewhere, I think along the way, to not be a victim of my circumstance. Because if you become a victim of your circumstance, the only thing you're going to keep telling yourself is not good enough. I and mean, I personally believe that uh, I am a Christian, 
I'm not religious, but I'm a Christian. I think there is yeah. a difference. Right. See, Evelyn and I are both from super Christian families too. So my my parents are missionaries in Japan. And I am from a very conservative, like, legalistic, like you said, family. And not to put that down or anything, like, if that's your thing, that's fine. But it's just not for me. And I love that you said, I am a Christian, but I'm not religious. Because I think Jesus hated religion, mm-hmm. to be honest. It, it's a little well, bit... He was radical. Think about she it. He was very radical. He was radical. So I just love that you bring that up. And I that's feel like... how I am. So amongst, you know, all all of those trials and tribulations, did you ever personally experience anything with the color of your skin? Did, did that affect you in any way? Well, yes. But it's different. I've experienced it probably both ways, but not really, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we lived in D.C., Chocolate City, I am a black woman married to a white man. Mm-hmm. So... My husband would come home and tell me of how people would look at him and spit on him. What? what? He literally, in the metro. What he, year was it? And we were in yes. D.C. from 1996 until 2002. And so they would see him with me and we're going to work or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he would get the bad looks mm-hmm. and those type of things. People actually used to spit on him. And, and he remembers somebody actually spitting on him uh, and he was getting on the train. And I mean, and he's a soldier. He worked at the Pentagon for the Secretary of Defense. And he'd be on his uniform. Yeah. It, no, it was just bad. So I experienced it through his eyes yeah. a little bit. But of course, us being mixed and coming to live in the South, mm-hmm. of course I experienced oh, yeah. it. Yeah. And I immediately, and we lived in a community. Well, we still live in a community that's predominantly white mm-hmm. out in Perdido Key. And so... um I always felt like if somebody else was doing average, I always had to be above average mm-hmm. just to be seen or to be recognized. Mm-hmm. And probably when I turned 40, I just said, can you curse on this? Yeah, oh, yeah, we curse all, we curse all the time. I just have it right now. said, fuck it. Yeah. yeah. I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. As I said, I love Jesus, but I curse a little bit more. <laughs> I just said, fuck it. Because... I recognize that I, that was me living my life based out of other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. And that was also me living my life out of what I do, meaning how much I can prove to somebody. Because when you live your life out of the equation of my self-worth or my self-esteem is equal to other people's opinions and what I do, then they have control over you. Yeah. And so I decided to take back control of my own life. And I don't give a crap what anybody thinks or says about me. Right. And... I'm going to be me and do me. Does anyone else feel like that they're going to take on today and be like, fuck you, fuck you, like burst through doors like I'm a bad bitch or something? Because I feel like that's what I'm going to do with it. Okay, so I'm sorry if you come across me and I'm just looking at you like, I'm a bad bitch. You can blame Cindy for that. Well, you know, somebody asked me once, I think I was doing a podcast or something, somebody said, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Mm-hmm. And I, my immediate thing is, if I had the power, I would go to women and take away all their fears. Of any race, color, of any race, what. any color, mm-hmm. I would take away their fears. Because the truth is, is it was because of race and because of society and how they would view me that made put me in the place of thinking that I had to prove myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was because of race that, because I know walking into a room of Caucasian people, they're automatically going to say, think she's lazy, she doesn't know what she's doing, she's less than. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been raised with. And only, not only being a black person, but being a black woman, I mm-hmm. think has even more 
like issues with people thinking that. It is. I mean, I've gone to the doctor and told doctors what is wrong with me or how I'm feeling, and they completely dismissed it. Mm -hmm. I literally was, um, I um, literally was very, very sick and was having issues, and a doctor just looked at me and said, well, I'm not giving you any medication for it, so figure it out. And the truth was, he never even did what he was supposed to do, come to find out I had a thyroid issue. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, well, I'm not giving you medicine, figure it out. Because he thought I was seeking medication. Like payments. Payments. Uh, yeah. And I was never seeking payments. I wanted him to figure out what was wrong with yeah. me. Come to find out, last year I actually ended up having surgery because mm-hmm. of the issue. I was having kidney stones every three months. Oh my gosh. And he was just like, figure it out. How's that he never legal? heard me. He never even heard me. I ended up having another doctor who was a woman who listened to me, Mm -hmm. who heard me. And she helped me figure out what was wrong with me. And it was a thyroid issue that was causing it. And so I've had those instances where culturally they don't hear you. Mm -hmm. So if, if people can't hear you and they don't understand you, then what am I trying to prove to them? Yeah. This reminds me so much of um, on our first episode of February that we did for Black History Month, Dr. Alexa Kennedy, she had this same mindset. She's the first um, black neurosurgeon, African-American neurosurgeon that's a woman. And she actually lives here in Pensacola. Um, and one of the things that she said, referencing back to how you said, you know, you you will walk in a room of um, Caucasians and, or Caucasian men and you automatically they have this view of you. And one of the things that she said when she first became a neurosurgeon was that um, she was apprehensive about it at first. She was worried about what people think of her. And she said, well, she had this thing where she just figured when she'd walk into a room with Caucasian patients, they'd just be like, oh, well, she's black and she's a neurosurgeon, so obviously she knows what she's doing. But like, that's such a fucked up way of thinking. It's like just... Because she's black doesn't mean she can't be a neurosurgeon. Mm -hmm. And because she did both of these things, she has to know what she's doing. Mm -hmm. You know, that just reminded me of that, of how it's just so fucked up. (laughs) That's the only thing I know how to say is how, and I think it's crazy the similarities, how you both thought the same thing, Mm -hmm. you know. And the fact that women of color have to have some point where they have that thought, have some point where they think like that, just shouldn't fucking be that way. No, it shouldn't. I remember I was went to a friend's house, and their families were there. I happen to know that the families of what this person came from is very prejudiced. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting around with all of these people, and we have dinner, and we're having drinks, and all of a sudden, everybody's attention is on me because I'm the only black person there. And it was like they were asking me questions in order to prove myself to them. <sighs> so you have your master's degree. So you... What do you do? So what is it like for you to have your own... Are you going to get your doctorate? What? I mean, they were just bombarding me with all of these questions. And I was just like, why in the world am I sitting in a situation where I'm feeling like I have to prove my worth to other people who automatically think that they're better than me because of the color of their skin? That's I literally remember. It infuriated me that my friend put me in that situation. Mm-hmm. And it infuriated me with myself to going, why are you doing it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I remember going, I don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. And I looked at my husband and I was like, it's time to go. Mm-hmm. We'll talk to you later. Yeah. 
I have never been to that person's house again. Mm -hmm. Simply because of if she doesn't know my value after us being friends and feel like I need to prove my value to her family to justify why she's my friend, then she has never seen me. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know me. Yeah. And why in the world would I waste my time trying to prove that to her anymore? Yeah. Yes. And so I removed myself. But those are the type of situations that I've been in down here where mm -hmm. most often or not, I'm usually sometimes the only black person in the room. Mm -hmm. And just by being in that situation, you feel like you have to prove yourself. That's not okay. No. no it's not. I'm not a circus monkey. No. And so that that's the way that I've experienced a lot of racism being in the South. But I figured out ways to just be me mm -hmm. and overcome it. And if I'm the only black person that you know, then you have a problem and it's yeah. not my job to make you feel like to not make you feel like you're a racist. Yes. You're a racist, plain and simple. Yes. If you only know one black person, that's that's what's it that's what this is. Yes. And it's not my job to make you feel better about that. Deal with it. Because I know my worth and I know my value. It's up to you to see it. Yeah. Not for me to prove it to you. Whew. All right. Oh, my gosh. Well, with that, can we, uh, can we take a pause? Because your girl got a pee so bad. Yeah, same, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll... All these drinks. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then we're, we're going to take a shot when we get back. <laughs> and then we'll re... We'll, we'll regather ourselves. I'm going to cut here. Okay? All right. Pause. So, guys, we just took a brief pause. Um, before we get to Evelyn's question, we're going to take a shot really quick as if Cindy needed some more. She literally just said, you guys, I think I'm tipsy. So here we go. Shots in. Shots. Shots to Evelyn. Shots, Evelyn. Here we go. Oh, you just finished? Oh my God. Yo, I'm such a punk, man. What just happened is Cindy is sitting across the room from a trash can, and she just got it right into the trash can. By the way, she has now officially I'm finished 200 milliliters of Fireball. This is going to be a great episode. 50. Oh, I have finished nothing. Well, you um, finished probably about probably 52. About 50. I yeah. really hope that our future guests for this are just as wild as you are, because that would be just... If not, it's cool, it's fine. How would that be crazy? counselor because I'm perfect I'm a counselor because number one my heart to help other people but right. also I got some shit I had to <laughs> does that make sense yes. I could never ever be a counselor or a therapist if I hadn't take my turn to sit on the sit on the couch mm -hmm. yeah. yeah I mean part of our training as counselors is we have to go through therapy yeah mm -hmm. Well, that was actually one of my questions, and oh, wait, um, Evelyn yeah. actually so has a question Evelyn... first. Okay, so you talked a lot about having your self-worth and finding your self-worth, and I feel like that's easier as an adult to comprehend those questions and actually think about it. I work in education, and I see a lot of students have those issues also where they can't let go of like people looking at them or... Things like that. So how would you, for like educate educators or parents, how would you advise them to help their child? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Because they might not understand the concepts of what I'm talking about. But I think with kids, um, when you look at, what is it, Maslow's hierarchy of development, meaning this is the, of what do kids need as they develop through life, okay? So once we turn to be six and, I can't remember the other age, uh, 
to 18 or whatever. They need to learn autonomy, meaning that they need to learn how to make choices. Mm -hmm. And so when you can present information to give them a choice, that helps them. But what they also need is they need safety and they need nurturing. So what that means is that when it's a child, and let's say they're nervous and they are about talking to other kids, and you affirm them. You tell them what's good about them that you've noticed. And then help them to believe that about themselves. And that in turn will help to develop their self-esteem and their self-worth. Because usually, especially with kids when they've um, experienced trauma or they experience things, even if it has nothing to do with them, they will make it about them. Mm-hmm. So you right. hear many, many times parent, uh, parents getting a divorce, but the kids will think it was my fault that they got divorced. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so you have to be okay with affirming what you see is the good qualities in them. And because the truth is this, like I said, said the story about my husband and him supporting me. I experienced trauma at a very young age. Where we experience trauma is where we will stay emotionally. A child who's experienced trauma or who doesn't, and trauma to me is anything that you experience that you're not emotionally, chronologically, or mentally mature to handle. So it can be something really small, like a friend saying, I don't, somebody saying, I don't want to be your friend anymore. That is trauma to a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right. if yeah. you can affirm them and help them to see themselves in that and build up their self-esteem in that, then they're probably going to get past it a little bit easier and sooner. Do you find it more difficult to counsel children over adults or is it I other do. I like adults and I particularly like women but I do see lots of men. I see lots of couples but I think right now I think so the biggest issue that I'm seeing honestly with kids preteens and kids that are in high school is that they take on the responsibility of their parents identity. Meaning if they feel like what their actions and what they're doing is going to have a bad reflection on their parents, that adds so much anxiety and stress to them. But so many times I think parents think that what their kids do is a reflection of who they are. And because they can't get that separation, they put a lot of pressure on their kids, which adds to their kids' anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so what I have to do when they bring their kids to me is I'm in this place of going, what you do is not a reflection on your parents, even though that's what they're saying to you. Your grades, you feel like you have to make straight A's so your parents have bragging rights. Oh. You have the, but the parents don't recognize that because of them wanting the bragging rights, they're putting this stress and pressure on their kids. Yeah. So then their kids are going, I don't know if I can do it. And they're scared and they're full of anxiety because they don't took on their parents crap yeah your kids having straight A's or not having straight A's has nothing to do with you mm-hmm. but if you make it that way as their parent then they're going to be full of anxiety and they're going to be full of stress and you're going to have to have them come see me yeah <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to spend extra money yeah <laughs> let's get back on track on you on you, you 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 give so much advice out and I love how it's going in and out and now you're just completely forgetting about this <laughs> this podcast is about you right now so, what really made you have, so we just, we got to your, you've been in your government job. Uh-huh. What was like, this is it. I, I'm going to put on my big girl panties and become a counselor. Well, I uh, figured out what I liked. 
I was really drawn to the psychology classes. Mm -hmm. And so I just fill it on with that and I got my bachelor's in psychology. I went to University of Maryland for most of my um, education, mm -hmm. except for the last semester. Okay. And so I finished that up online and then I figured that, okay, this isn't enough. I want to do more. And so I uh, went to uh, a Christian college and got my master's in professional counseling. That was a hard process because um, at that time we were going through so many life transitions. The year that I decided to get my master's, my husband had just come home from Afghanistan for a year. He was going through some PTSD stuff. Yeah. That was the year that my son with autism was graduating from college. Mm -hmm. It was the year that my sister, my daughter had gotten engaged. <laughs> um, and it was the year of me trying to figure out if I'm going to do this. Because me, I'm a planner. And so I couldn't see the end because I knew I'd have to do an internship and do hours. And I didn't know how I would be able to do that work full time and still continue on all the roles that I had. Mm -hmm. But I did it anyway. I took mm -hmm. all my online classes that I could do. I ended up having to go to Virginia six times for two weeks at a time each time wow. because I'd have to do intensive classes is what yeah. they called it. So it was just like get a lot of information in two weeks time and then come home and finish up the class. Woo. What so school did you go to? I went to Liberty University. Mm -hmm. I graduated from Liberty University. Did you? I did. <laughs> You said Christian college, and I knew you're from Virginia. I was like, <laughs> I, did. I went to Liberty, and while I I do not always agree with their theology sometimes, yes. the education I got there was impeccable. Yes. They did not let anything fall through the cracks, and I'm very grateful and thankful that I went to that university because I learned so much. So I finished up my degree and stuff there, but I didn't know the process. Like I said, I was working full time for the government. I have three kids. My husband's just retired and started a new job. Mm -hmm. It was hard to decide how to be a counselor with this because I knew that I was going to have to leave a lot of money behind mm -hmm. to start this and do this. But then I decided just jump. Mm -hmm. I would not be happy if I didn't make the jump. When you were first stepping into the counseling arena, did you find it that it was more like a male-dominated industry, or do you still feel like it to is? To be honestly, most of the people that I've worked with have been female, and the times that I've had to work with males, which has been a couple of times, most of the male people that I know, males, have all usually only just come to me for advice. Empathy just isn't taught males, so they come yeah. from come to counseling through a logical standpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so, and I think with. Most people, they need empathy, yes. not sympathy, empathy. And I, what, how I differentiate is two different things. If you're sympathetic towards somebody, you will feel what they feel, but then you will want to have action behind it and fix it for them. Yeah. When you have empathy with somebody, you just understand where they are, and you don't want to fix it. You just want to help them mm. and give them understanding there's of where a, they are. There's that difference. There's a big difference. Yes. I can empathize with you, but I'm not going to fix it. I'm going to empower you to fix it. All right, so now we have another question from Evelyn. So there's a stigma with mental health, but in the past few years, this has started to change due to pop culture, and it's becoming more acceptable to speak openly about mental health. Do you find it easier now to connect with your clients compared to five to ten years ago? Yes. What I did starting out was... Uh, working in a male residential treatment program for drug addiction, which is hard. But I think back then too, because as 
I was doing that, I was also having a private practice, is that the fact that most people thought that if there was mental health issues apparent, then somehow that made them weak or that made them out of the norm. And so what I'm finding now is that because of the cultural and the societal changes with that and that it's now being more embraced, that people aren't necessarily seeing themselves as weak or less than because of it. To me, it takes a much stronger person to say I need help than it does to act like nothing's wrong. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, uh, facing the trauma can be hard mm -hmm. because that means it's actually real. Mm -hmm. When you put on that mask, you know, most people probably feel like even though it like happened in real life, that it's something that they can compartment Compar compartmentalize. Why are big words so hard for me? Because we're um, <laughs> so. you know, I always do this concept of this thought of our story, which I think is important because I think our lives can equal a story. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember um, my grandmother, for instance, she had this nickname for being Jailbait Jenny. Jailbait oh, Jenny! <laughs> why? It's because my grandmother actually went to prison. She grew up with a lot of trauma. And again, like I said, we don't get to pick how our trauma shows up, but it made her very angry. So she sliced her boyfriend's ear off. Woo! And so my grandmother went to prison mm -hmm. for a while. But my grandmother is probably the most safest, kindest, gentlest, loving person I ever knew in my life. Mm -hmm. It was just part of her story. Yeah. Her going to jail or going to prison back in the 50s was only a snapshot of who she was. Meaning that part of her life might have only taken, if, if you think about her story of her life, it only took up a, maybe a half of a paragraph. Mm -hmm. I got that concept a long time ago, I think, is the fact that even the trauma that I went through, it's only a chapter. I get to choose what the story of my life is going to be. I think a lot of, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. And especially maybe in, you know, our generation, at least for millennials, um, we get, we have our parents, you know, who it was, don't talk about things, you know, don't, don't do this, don't do that. This is how it's supposed to be. And then millennials, we're just kind of like, and our small trauma that we have, that's just a blip in our, so we don't know how to handle it. Yeah. You know, and to hear that, holy shit, it really is just a blip. It is a sentence in a whole freaking chapter. And like, a whole book. And yeah. Like, it's just a sentence. That's all it is. How do you handle feeling burdened by the problems that people come to you with? Like, are you able to go home and just turn off work, no, Cindy? No, I'm not. <laughs> because I call myself, I think sometimes I can maybe be considered an empath. I would lie to you if I tell you that people come to me and they start crying and I don't cry. And that's one of the things that they tell you. When you're going through your masters is if your clients cry, you don't cry. Yeah. If your clients do have these feelings, you don't do their feelings. I'm not that person. I feel what you feel. I hear you. I listen to you. I have had to learn some things within myself to kind of balance that. Because at the very beginning, I was so burdened and weighed down with things that my clients were going through. I was dreaming about them. Wow. One of the things I had to do was number one short in my week instead of seeing 42 clients a week which I was silly enough to try to do mm -hmm. for a long time I shortened it I only see a certain amount of clients a week I asked myself three things can I control it can I change it did I cause it my answer is no to one of them then my answer is no to all three because if I didn't cause it then I should not be trying to change it or control something else that belongs to other people 
I can be with you. I can sit with you. But I should not be trying to change it. Because if I'm trying to change it, then I've become a manipulator. If I'm trying to change something that has nothing to do with me, then I'm trying to manipulate them to be better. And even though I'm trying to maybe make the circumstances better for that other person, I'm still manipulating. Manipulation can be good and bad. And it's not my role to do that for people. Yeah. So that's the my that's my rule. I live by that. Can I control it? Can I change it? Did I cause it? You know, what are a few things that you wish people understood about mental health? Because there's all of this other... I think people make up excuses about mental health so they don't have to seek it out. But what is something that you wish they would understand? What I wish I think they would understand is, number one, is being self-aware of why you don't do it. A lot of times it's fear. I always ask my clients one thing. What is your benefit of not changing? Staying the victim. Bingo. What is your benefits of not changing? It's comfortable. Yeah. It's safe. I get to stay the victim. Even for myself, I'm having a problem with my weight. And the deal is, I'm not addressing my weight simply because I like the fact that I ain't got to worry about it. <laughs> it's easy for me not to hold myself accountable. I hold myself accountable in all kinds of other things. I don't want to hold myself accountable for my weight. But the truth is, now it's becoming an issue. And even I think with most people, it's the fact that they think about, they can give themselves so many excuses instead of just being honest and real. Something that I've encountered when talking to people about therapy, because I went through a few years of therapy and it was the most amazing things that I've ever done, but they say, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with me. Why do I need to go to therapy? And I'm like, why does anything need to be wrong with you to go to therapy? You know, obviously you were feeling some type of way that first you asked me about it. Second of all, doesn't mean anything's wrong. You just need someone else to talk to. My job is to provide you with a safe place. Mm, yes. A safe place to talk about and be, be whoever you want to be. You will never walk into my office and feel judged. And if you go to a counseling office and you do not feel that way, then get up and walk out. Because yeah. that person is not doing their job. Their job is to empower you. Okay. To make you feel like no matter what you've always and will always be good enough mm -hmm. and I think so many times it's that fear of how is somebody else going to think of me what are they going to think of me that can hold people back right that and also like mental health is such an intangible thing it's sometimes like if you're bleeding out like your arms cut open then it's obvious you need to go to a doctor but it's so hard to realize sometimes that your mental health is just as important. And the deal is, is I think so many times we can be in this place of, you know, I think about it. I grew up in a home where rage was the norm. Being angry and being explosive was the norm. Being in that type of environment, what do you think I did? Yeah. I, I did it because that was normal. Yeah. Right. It wasn't until I went to counseling that I recognized that maybe I shouldn't be that way. What is... Um, one thing or just advice in general that you would give to someone who's considering counseling as their career? Oh, as a career? Get in counseling yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. If you want to be a counselor, then get into counseling. Because through that process, you're going to learn self-awareness. Mm -hmm. You're going to learn about yourself. You will be able to decipher, even if in the time and in the moment that you were making changes, you didn't realize what you were doing, you will be able to pinpoint the things that you were able to do. 
even unconsciously or unaware. And I think if you want to be a good counselor, you have to spend time on the couch. Yeah. I think that's the perfect segue um, to this next question is, yeah, would you recommend counseling to everyone? Whether there's, Absolutely. Yeah. Whether you feel like you have issues or not, I think you need to go to counseling just to, because honestly, I really believe that just having somebody to sit and hear your story you know, I know Oprah says it and other people have said it <laughs> online and made this thing. I think at the heart of every single person is you want to be known. And if you can go to counseling just for somebody to know who you are and accept who you are is beneficial for you. Because if you are known and you are accepted, that alone is going to feel, make you feel empowered. Well, I think that is the perfect way <laughs> to end this podcast guys that was amazing I am just like my life has been changed I mean she's already changed my life but um we feel so honored to have you as our our very first local baddie I don't think there was anybody more appropriate than you to be our first so thank you so much for being a part of this it is an honor and a privilege it really is I'm completely shocked that you guys would even ask me I'm just over here in my little corner if listeners or if you are interested if you were inspired by anything that cindy said today or if you feel like you know you would like to reach out and start talking to somebody you can definitely um she may be a little busy but you can definitely reach out to cindy um at squirrels counseling just give her a little google search and you can find all her information on there um facebook Oh, she's on Facebook. Oh, Kurt. And she may be on TikTok soon. <laughs> yes. I'm definitely on Facebook. And through my Facebook app, you can click the link there and immediately sign up um, if you want to have like a free consultation. I'll give you a free 30-minute consultation. Awesome. And after we talk and see where you are and see if we're a good fit, because one of the questions I always ask my clients is, what are you looking for in a, cl- in a, in a counselor too? Mm-hmm. Because that's important and I need to know what they want. And so um, you can go through there and sign up and do a free consultation or sign up for an appointment. Nice. I'm here. Um, during this, since you know we're still in the middle of a pandemic and COVID is real and alive, um, for those that would want to do virtual counseling, do you do that as well? I do. I do okay. telehealth, and you just let me know um, when you sign up for an appointment if you want it to be telehealth or in person, and I will send you a secure HIPAA. Yeah. Um, certified or HIPAA approved um, website to do it so that it's not tracked, it's encrypted and all of those things and so our sessions will be very private and those type of things so I awesome. do that as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Cindy. Um, guys, if you have a local baddie that you want us to shout out in your community, whether it's here in Pensacola or wherever you are, please send us an email um, to our Gmail account at tipsybroadhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, was that right? I don't that ever say correct. those. <laughs> With the subject line local baddies so that we can find your email easily. If you want to hit us up on Instagram, you can find us at Tipsy Broad History Podcast. If you want to find us on Twitter, even though we don't use Twitter, it can be found at TipsyBH Podcast. If you want to Gmail us, even though I just said it, you can Gmail us at TipsyBroadHistoryPodcast at gmail.com. And today's local baddie was Cindy Skoros. Yes. Check her out. Reach out to her if you need it. She's always there for you. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Um, I will add, oh, let me add this in really quickly, <laughs> is 
I'm going to give out my cell phone number. And I have people that use this for a specific reason. If you have things that are going on in your life that you feel like no one will understand, I have a secure phone number that you can call and just text whatever is going on for you. People I use people use this throughout the night and they will just text that number, whatever they're feeling, whatever they're thinking, they just put it in there. Sometimes I will respond, sometimes I won't. Sometimes I just want you to sit in whatever that feeling is. But most of the time I will respond and just say, okay, let's think about this a little bit differently or let's think about something differently. And I do that for people because when you feel like you are alone, especially now during a pandemic, this is just a way for you to reach out and just say, is somebody there I am there I care about you I want what's best for you and if you just need a number to just vent and just get your crap out this is a number 850-228-8495 you are not alone and you do not have to be alone unless you choose to be alone you can choose to have somebody come in your circle to support you and love you and help you when you need it 850-228-8495. Guys, we're in tears. It. <laughs> just text whatever it is. Text Get it, it off your oh chest. There's no judgment. I love that so much. Thank Cindy, you. thank you so much for joining us today. And listeners, please reach out if you need it. You are not alone. All right, guys. See you next time. Have a great day. Bye. 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 This is a podcast created by responsible of drinking age adults. Please drink responsibly. You must be over the age of 21 and do not drink and drive. Your tipsy broad history hosts all live in the same neighborhood and were able to simply walk home after our recording. Tipsy broad history and its hosts do not support or condone the overconsumption, abuse, or irresponsible use of alcohol. Tipsy broad history is not intended for promoting alcohol abuse, binge drinking, underage drinking, or any other forms of abuse and irresponsible alcohol consumption. Additionally, please note we are not historians and do not claim to be history buffs. We are just a couple of friends that want to bring light to women in history. And we just so happen to do that a little tipsy.